Before we begin, I'd like to invite you to support the podcast. There's a new feature where you can send me a text message and let me know how the podcast has helped you. You can find this link at the top of every episode's description. You can also go to my website, ascending-minds.com, and you can register for the support group and my newsletter. You can also get a free copy of my guide to dealing with repeated questions. Now on with the episode. Welcome to the Surviving Alzheimer's Podcast, where you will learn how to find a peace that passes all understanding. I realize that your journey down Dementia Road with your loved one is unique. As I share my experiences and the lessons that I've learned with my wife over the last 12 years on our Alzheimer's journey, it's my desire that you'll learn how to find joy and peace, as I have, while facing my life's greatest challenge. This podcast is a true story of Ken and Shannon, a married couple whose lives have been forever changed for the better because we have learned to live with Alzheimer's disease and not let the disease define us. This episode takes us back in time, back to a time when Alzheimer's disease was not part of our life. I will answer the following questions in this episode. Looking back, was there any hint of what might be lurking in our future? What were the early signs, if any, that something was not quite right with my wife's cognitive abilities. Finally, if I could time travel back, like back into the future, what would I tell myself when all of this was starting? Well, let's get into it. Life before Alzheimer's disease. Our story takes us back to the early 1980s. Let's call them the California days. We were just married in 1980 and Those were exciting times in our life. I had graduated from college. We moved across country. We would go to the beach every night. We lived in Redondo Beach. It was awesome. We played co-ed softball, and it was my first introduction to Taco Bell as we lived in California. As young marrieds, we were not quite ready to be adults. I had some issues with being a control freak, and Shanna had some low self-esteem issues that she brought into our relationship from her childhood. As children came along, there were a lot of financial pressures on me, and the duties of parenting was new to both of us. Now, as children came along, it was pretty difficult. We had four little boys, and our fourth one was born in 1987. A serious episode of postpartum depression set in on Shanna. She had had bouts with it with some of our other children, but this one was really hard on her. There was actually a period of time for a few weeks where Shanna was so exhausted and so depressed that some ladies from our church would come over during the day and tend to our small children while I was at work. This went on for a couple of weeks just to give her an opportunity to rest and catch up. At that period in our lives, it was not uncommon for me to come home from work and to make dinner and allow my wife to go to bed and rest. And I took care of the children, did their homework with them, bathed them, put them to bed. This wasn't an every night occurrence, but it happened quite often. It was very exhausting raising four little boys, as it would be uh, for just about anybody. 
Let's move to the 1990s. We moved to Arizona. We finally got a daughter, and we were very, very busy raising our family. There was lots of time on Little League baseball fields for me, and Shanna spent a lot of time playing tennis. In 1990, my 26-year career at Intel started, and I chose to allow it to make significant time demands on me, and it made it difficult to be married to me at times. Shanna struggled to process and express certain emotions. Combine that with my insecurities and my need to never be wrong led to multiple uh, trips to marriage counselors and family counselors. And these actually helped us out quite a bit. Shanna's battle with depression continued through the 90s, and it became more significant. She started taking medication, and she would be on and off medication like antidepressants for more or less the rest of her adult life. This decade had many fond memories of when our family was young and growing. Our relationship as husband and wife could be strained at times, but we survived as best as we were able to do that. This brings us to the year 2000. During this time, our oldest children were in high school and our youngest were in elementary. Life became extremely busy for us at this time with five children. Some of the earlier things that caused tension, like financial strain, living paycheck to paycheck, was less of an issue as my career had advanced. But now we were in the middle of raising four teenage boys at the same time with a preteen girl coming right behind. This is when I started to get a lot of gray hair. It was during this time that we met with a family counselor who not only saved our marriage, but armed us with the tools that have blessed us both in our relationship for decades. It really had to do with me learning how to communicate, listen, and learn how to validate Shanna's feelings and not focus on my need to be right all the time. It was at this time that I started seeing many of my issues that contributed to my wife's depression, her stress and unhappiness. It was a very sobering time for me. As I began to own my part in all of this and work slowly but surely to correct some of my issues, our relationship shifted from one of just being able to tolerate each other to being able to support each other and to learn to love each other in a much more mature way. As the decade progressed, our relationship became the best it had ever become. And we were both in a much happier place. We saw our children get married and start families of their own. We were so thrilled to become grandparents. As I reflect back on the first 30 years that we spent together, our life before Alzheimer's, the following things seemed to become very meaningful and helpful to how we dealt with Alzheimer's as it began to affect our lives. First thing was Shanna always struggled with math. Ever since she was a child, when she was a realtor for a few years around the year 2003, I would do most of the math for her. She just did not have the confidence to do that. This was a, a good thing because it actually helped us to learn to work together side by side. And this became and would become a critical skill once Alzheimer's started to appear in our lives. What she lacked for in math skills, she more than made up with, with her 
work ethic, and attention to detail. She became fascinated with genealogical research and spent over a decade working on my Italian family history as well as helping her mother with their own family history. This became kind of like a full-time job for her for many, many years. This showed me that she had an incredible memory and brain power as to be able to research and work through all the details. At this time, computers were not that prevalent, and a lot of the work was manual by using uh, microfiche and film readers. And she had kept very good notes piecing together all the different uh, family tree lines. Again, this was another opportunity for us to learn to work together because as we started using computers to do this, with my background, that's where I was able to contribute. One thing that was real interesting was Shanna's sense of reasoning and logic seemed to be a bit off is the best I can describe it. And this really was apparent when we would have disagreements and arguments. We would sometimes get very, very intense in our conversations. And she would say things and react in certain ways that just didn't seem logical to me. And it just didn't make sense to me being an engineer and being very logical. I just kind of said, well, we're just different kind of people. After things would cool off, I'd review our discussion. So notice that her line of thinking just didn't make sense and wasn't logical. But it seemed to make sense to her. Now looking back, I wonder if this was kind of an early indication of her cognitive struggles that would come to dominate our lives in the coming decade. Her ability to express intense emotion has never come easy. It's always been a struggle. At at that time, I was still working on becoming a good listener. And so I probably didn't help the situation very much. I was more emotionally steady, but it was at the cost of suppressing my emotions in order to protect myself. And that was pretty tough. Also, Shanna could exhibit large swings with her emotions, have very high highs and have some very low lows. Shanna has always been the most honest person I've ever met, a rule follower almost to a fault. Yet she was always fun-loving. She was, and still is, very courageous and has always coupled her courage with a deep faith in God. Now, again, I mention these things just to give a bit of context because I believe these were factors and they kind of shaped how our Alzheimer's experience has happened in one way or another. Well, that brings us to the year 2012. Before that year, I would have never expected that Shanna had any kind of serious cognitive issues. So, what were some of the early signs that something was not quite right with her cognition? It was the year 2012. We were somewhat empty nesters although two of our youngest children would like to yo-yo back and forth into our home from time to time over the next couple of years. We were enjoying life, and it was great. Now, at that time, I started to notice sometimes she would repeat a question from time to time. At first, it, it didn't happen very often, 
And my response would be, well, I told you yesterday that we were going to do this, and et cetera. And again, it wasn't an issue. She also was starting to misplace her keys in her eyeglasses every once in a while. She had just turned 52 years old, and we were both getting, quote, a little bit older, so this seemed kind of normal. As the year progressed and continued, this started to become more frequent, but it was random. And I was the only one who really noticed it for many months. And at this time, it didn't bother me. Now, that would change over the years. And I had to learn how to deal with that. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. Now, at the end of the year, the holiday season, our growing family would gather together. And now this included our five children, four of their spouses, and six grandchildren. And they started notice Shanna asking repeated questions as they interacted with her over the holidays. And I can remember seeing the puzzled look on my children and their spouse's faces when they would have conversations with her and this would come up. And this was the very first time that we as a family started to discuss why the repeated question, what's going on? This was, to me, the first confirmation that others were starting to notice what I had noticed. And it was at this time that I started to get concerned and also at the same time irritated. I was starting to become very impatient and not so kind with my response to her repeated questions. In hindsight, I was extremely frustrated by this, but really I was starting to become alarmed and afraid. And I believe my unkind behavior was mainly a byproduct of my growing fear of what was going on. In the first couple of months of the year 2013, Jan and I started talking about this pretty openly. And we decided it was time to go see a neurologist for the first time. I have to pause here and just say, probably one of the biggest blessings in our Alzheimer's experience is that we have been able to discuss this disease and how we will deal with it very openly in all of her cognitive challenges. She has always been more or less very accepting of what's going on. There were times where she struggled understanding what was going on and realizing it. But once she kind of realized that this was for real and it was happening to her, we could always talk about it and we could always work through any of the many, many difficult situations that would soon come. Well, we found our first doctor. It was a referral. The first couple of visits, Shannon went through a whole series of tests and evaluations. I was present at all of the doctor visits because I wanted to know what was going on, and I wanted to uh, ask a lot of the questions. That was the engineer in me. This was the start of me becoming her health advocate, uh, up until then, Shanna was very good about, you know, taking care of herself and this and that. But at this time, I wanted to make sure we were able to get answers and follow the directions. I've always been data-driven, and I wanted concrete answers. And this was my first experience with the inexact science of dementia diagnosis and treatment. Shanna took the MOCA, or the Montreal cognitive assessment test for the first time and tested in the low normal range. If you don't know, the MOCA scoring is a total of 30, 
a score of about 26 is normal. Mild cognitive or MCI is around an average of a score of 22. And Alzheimer's people uh, typically score around an average of 16. I'll discuss our experiences with this exam over the years in in a later episode. The initial diagnosis was MCI, or mild cognitive impairment. And interesting enough, the doctor rules Alzheimer's out. Uh, He basically said, almost 53 years old, and she's way too young to have Alzheimer's. Let me tell you a little bit about our first neurologist. I will just call him Dr. G. He was an older gentleman, very experienced, but very set in his ways. He gave off an air of he'd seen it all and knew everything about this. So while initially he instilled a little bit of confidence in me in in his diagnosis, that would change as time went on. And eventually I'd fire him in a couple of years because he was not listening to us. We'll talk more about that later. He explained to to us that, that whenever Shanna was experiencing anxiety, her brain would shut down example of this, and we were seeing this, was when we would be at the grocery store, and it would come time for her to pay with the credit card uh, with the terminal, she would not know how to operate the terminal, or she wouldn't know how much change she was going to get if she paid in cash, and she would become dependent on actually the cashier's honesty at this point, and I witnessed this a few times. So... We started to notice this more and more as the months followed her MCI diagnosis. But again, this was random and every once in a while. Now, our visits over the next couple of years with Dr. G, I had always noticed when we were in the waiting room that we were definitely the youngest people in the room, that all the other patients in the waiting room were more or less our parents' age. Looking back, it tells me that maybe Dr. G was not ready to deal with such a young patient. This was such a new experience for both of us. We were not too worried at the time, but that would soon change. I'd like to take a break and ask a favor. Would you be willing to let me know how the podcast has helped you? The best way to do this is to leave a review on whatever podcasting application you're using. Another easy way to do that is look at the description of this episode and click on the new feature that allows you to send me a text message. It would be great if you just paused the podcast and did that now. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. What would I tell myself if I can go back in time? Well, I would educate myself about dealing with doctors, especially neurologists. I would tell myself, don't always be so trusting of a doctor that you've had no experience with. In hindsight, Dr. G was not very good for us. And related to this, I probably should have sought a second opinion. And eventually we did, but it was three years later. So if you don't feel that you're getting served from your current doctor, go find another one. Find another medical practitioner. Find one that will work with you. The other thing I would tell myself, press the doctors to do more testing, especially with imaging. And if they refuse, 
fire them and find another one. That's essentially what I did with Dr. G after going to him for three years. Uh, you know, all he would do would up her dosage of her antidepressant. And I kept seeing more and more dementia-like behavior. Now, I will make a note here that the next two neurologists that we have used were very helpful and made a huge difference in Chana's care. So I think it's just a matter of finding the right one. Ones who will take the time to explain things and be willing to try things. Now, I'm trying not to rag on the medical profession. We just had a bad experience with our first neurologist. But I can only wonder if we would have known back then that she had Alzheimer's and what was coming that I could have prepared a few years earlier. And as I will explain in later episodes, we were blessed to get things in order just in the nick of time when it came to legal paperwork and financial preparation. And, uh, those are interesting stories, and I'll cover those in uh, a later episode. I do think that knowing early would have helped me to be more prepared to become a full-time caregiver. What would I tell myself about dealing with dementia? I would tell myself, Ken, you need to be really patient, especially with the repeated questions. This would get to be much more frequent as time went on. And I'm sure who are, have done this or are doing this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This became eventually a very big negative emotional trigger for me. It got so bad that I got to the point that when I was asked the same question a few minutes later, it would set me off. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I often lost my composure and was not very kind and often sarcastic with my responses, only to leave her more confused with what I was saying. In hindsight, I was being triggered and I was in a state of fear. I was afraid of what was going to happen to this person who I loved most. How was I going to deal with this? What else could be coming? I was panicking. At that point, we had not been able to name what was going on. There was no official diagnosis. The fear of the unknown was really getting to me. The interesting thing was, it didn't seem to bother Shanna. At first, she was oblivious to her repeated questions. But as time progressed, she started to become aware of it. In fact, there were times when she would repeat a question and then she'd smile at me and say, did I already ask you that? And I would say yes, and the look on her face broke my heart. Eventually, I would just smile and say no, and not to upset her any further. This was the beginning of me being able to have increased compassion for her and changing how I viewed being a caregiver. I was starting not to make this all about me and how her Alzheimer's was affecting me and having to deal with her decline and all the adjustments and my perceived inconveniences. When I focused on her is where I think I became a good caregiver over time. 
It was then I also started to treat her with more kindness. This eventually led me to learn how to love her in ways that I never knew existed. And I feel so very blessed to have had those few years where that started to happen and it continues to grow to this day. Years later, I would learn about how our thoughts drive our emotions. And that in turn conditions how we respond and ultimately shapes how we experience the world around us. The amazing thing is that this becomes very cyclic. And if we don't grab control of our thoughts, we can become slave to our emotions and eternal triggers and allow these external things to have power over our life's experiences. I'll expand upon these concepts in future episodes as this was one of the key things that had enabled me to survive and eventually thrive while still caring for my wife with Alzheimer's, even during this crazy pandemic that we just went through. The final thing I would tell my younger self, and this is probably the most valuable lesson that I have learned in our Alzheimer's journey, is that we are never alone in our trials. Now, I've always had a belief in God. You may call it a higher power or the universe or whatever. And I'm not here really to debate this very personal matter. But for me, I feel it's important that you understand that I've always had a strong faith in my Savior Jesus Christ and my Heavenly Father. I'll call them God, but that's who I'm talking about. I think it's the main reason I've been able to survive Alzheimer's, and it has and will sustain us to the very end of our journey. What would I say to myself? If I would say, Ken, you're never going to be alone in this journey. You may feel that way at times, but just step back, take a deep breath, rely on your faith in God, follow his promptings, and take an eternal perspective and try to see things as they really are. Probably one of the key turning points in all of this is when I stopped asking why this is happening to us and asked a better question. What am I, what are we to learn from all of this? Asking God repeatedly, what am I to learn from this particular experience? And then recording my answers in my journal so that I could review them at a later time has made all the difference. And it's from that journal of over 250 pages that I've amassed so far that much of the things that I will share with you in future episodes will come from. This has empowered us to survive Alzheimer's and find a peace while going through our biggest challenges together. Well, if you've made it this far, I want to thank you for spending time with me. When I share our Alzheimer's story, it always seems to help heal my broken heart just a little bit more. I hope you've learned something of value today and will act upon any prompting that you may have felt. Please know that it is my desire to help you to reach a sense of peace while you are going through your caregiving journey. 
Before we wrap this up, I would like to ask a favor of you. If you feel like leaving a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast to, be it Apple, Google, or Spotify, I would be very grateful. If you're listening to this on YouTube, I would appreciate it if you dropped a comment and tell me what you liked, what you didn't like, and maybe mention to me what you would like me to discuss in future episodes. Finally, on our next episode, we'll take a break from our backstory and explore some caregiving advice and resources that were helpful to me during the early stages of our journey down Dementia Road. Thanks for listening, and be sure to follow the Surviving Alzheimer's podcast so you can be notified when new episodes are published. You have a great day. Before you go, I'd just like to invite you and remind you of the things that we have to offer from Ascending Minds, LLC. You can go to our website, www.ascending-minds.com, and you can register for the Surviving Alzheimer's Support Group. You can register for our newsletter. You can also get a free copy of the guide to responding to our loved ones' repeated questions. You can find links to all this in the episode description, or you can just go to the website and look at the menu. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.